Hi, my name is Ebony Joy. Welcome to Solidarity Economy Shorts, a collaboration between New Economy Coalition and Cooperative Journal Media. Solidarity Economy Shorts are conversations with frontline organizations and individuals that are putting solidarity economy principles into practice. They're using different strategies to build an economic system where communities are meeting their own needs outside of capitalism. New Economy Coalition is a membership representing the solidarity economy ecosystem in the United States. Their members are actively working across economic sectors to shift from individuality and capitalism to cooperation and solidarity. Some of the New Economy members will be featured on this podcast to explore topics like land justice, cooperation, arts and culture, resource mobilization, and more. We'll share lessons learned, practices, and how you can engage in this liberatory vision. As you listen, you're invited to feel into your body. When do you sense constriction? When do you feel light and expansive? We hope these shorts can be a reminder that we don't have to wait for the future we dream of. It is here now, waiting for us to participate. Soul Underground is an abolitionist ecosystem in Atlanta, dreaming of a Black and Indigenous liberated world that is resisting colonial systems of oppression. They are actualizing this dream as an autonomous community-led group that is building, joining, and maintaining networks of care. In this episode, we get into what this actually looks like in practice. I speak with the founder, Sunny, who begins with defining what abolitionism is and its correlation to the solidarity economy. We also talk about how their shape transformed from an artist collective to supporting the unhoused community through mutual aid. They share some of the models they organize, like Soul Below, a pop-up tent that provides warmth and food to the homeless when the temperature drops below a certain degree. They paint such a beautiful vision for a world when exploitative systems are abolished, offer practical tips for adopting an abolitionist mindset, and how to put theory into practice. Hello, Sunny. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really looking forward to learning more about Soul Underground. I've been reading a lot about the work that you all are doing in advocating and addressing the housing crisis that is happening in many cities, but specifically in Atlanta, Georgia, where you are. I know that at the root of the work that you all do is abolitionism. So before we get into more of the details about what Soul Underground is, can you please explain what is abolitionism? Yeah, um, abolition to us is finding a way to free ourselves from the oppressive systems that we live under. Um, Since the term was like, you know, coined and popularized through slavery it was like the ending of chattel slavery in North America so in kind of that essence and roots it's the ending of all the systems of oppression for all of us so that's gender oppression based race-based oppression economic oppression um and things like that and creating new systems that serve all of us and help build equity and equitable systems. Yes. 
the basis of New Economy Coalition and the stories of this podcast is around the solidarity economy, which I feel like is the antidote to these oppressive systems falling and creating something new. So could you explain maybe the connection that you see between abolitionism and the solidarity economy? Yeah, I think one of the great like principles of the solidarity economy that I've seen is making sure that resources are get to the places that they need to be. And while I'm not like the most well-versed in solidarity economy practices, that is the one thing that stands out to me. And like that is one of the biggest connections to abolition is because we are, like I said, we're trying to break down these systems of oppression. Um, we, in order to do that, we need to make sure that people have the things that they need and that things are circulating in community within the community, between communities, that resources aren't getting hoarded and that everyone has the access to the things that they need to live and live well. And how is Soul Underground doing that? See, y'all are deep in that work. Yeah, we do a lot. So I will try and keep it, give an abridged version. Um, I think the best example we have is our free store. Uh, Every first, second, and fourth Friday, we go downtown and to two different locations downtown. And it's essentially just like a free store when we have all the things we need to kind of set it up like that. But we give away clothes, food, toiletries, books, art-related things. household items when we have them and people can just come and take what they need they can drop off stuff that they don't need anymore they can switch things out I've definitely seen a cute jacket taken it and then left another jacket because I own far too many um and just kind of trying to keep things circular like because we many people have like too much of one thing and not enough of something else. So, you know, this is a space for them to, instead of like throwing it out, letting it go to waste, it's able to circulate throughout the community as long as it's useful. Um, another way that we do that is we have worked or we partner with food distros across the city um, and they like get food that can't be sold in the grocery store anymore because it's like not pretty or it's a few days out from expiring or they just have too much of it left over. And we go around and we deliver it to various households. Um, and so we get the free food because we help like volunteer with these dish rows and things like that. Um, and I think those are probably two of the current best examples that we have, but we've done so much in the past too much to talk about. Yeah. And what was the foundation of creating Soul Underground? What inspired you to start it? Um, Yeah, the like actual real deal inspiration was just that we needed Black organizers in Atlanta needed a space to meet safely because during the uprisings in 2020, we were meeting in parks and public places. And this was around the same time that like other cities like New York, they were just picking up protesters and unmarked vans and taking them to, we don't even know. Um, And I have many years of venue and DIY art space management under my belt. 
And so I figured I could use some of the skills that I had in the like previous places that I've worked to kind of create that space for us to meet. So that's how it started. It didn't really have any other intentions really other than being a space for us to meet and gather. And then since then it's grown and it's changed to fit and adapt like the changing to reflect the changing needs of our community throughout the years. You all started doing a mix of what it seemed like to be a mix of art and activism. And now your work has shifted more towards uh meeting the needs of the community, like you said, and one of those major needs is housing. And so how did you all make that shift from art-centered organizing to housing and why? Yeah. Um, well, when, like you said, when we originally started, it was an art and activism-based collective. And the switch really just happened kind of overnight um, once we got the space we knew like we wanted it to be art based because we at the time we were still an art collective under a different name like the building was named soul underground and then the art collective was saint soul and then they kind of merged probably like a few months into having the building um and the reason honestly was that a friend and i were walking by um and we like started to talk to three in-house guys because we were going to dinner and it was absolutely too cold for us to be walking there. And we were probably 100, 150 meters away from the like restaurant. So it wasn't a super far walk. And we we're like, if we're too cold, these people only have like, I think the guys had like a hoodie, sweatpants, shoes, socks, and a sleeping bag. So we just stopped and we talked to them and we were like, you know, like, what would be helpful? What do you guys need? And they told us that they needed another blanket, gloves, hat. It's Atlanta. So they wanted some wings and some beer. So we got back in our cars, which we were very happy to do because it was, I cannot understate how cold it was. Um, went, got them all that stuff, posted on our stories, um, because my friend was the president of the BLM Atlanta chapter at the time, posted on our stories that like, hey, trying to crowdsource funds, like, hey, folks, like, we have some guys who need some stuff. Can we get some money? Because it was not in either of our organization's budgets to do. Um, we got the funds and some, then some, and then we gave them cash, gave them all the stuff. And then when we were at dinner, we just started talking about the needs and both of us having been born, like raised in Atlanta, talking about the fact that I was staying with family 45 minutes outside of just the city. So I was almost an hour away from Seoul because I couldn't afford to live on my own. And then my friend living in Smyrna, and their rent going up a thousand dollars in one like year. We we're just talking about how this like we can't do it anymore. Like this is so unaffordable. Um, and I had been just generally like in organizing work, not necessarily in art at the time or art organizing. So just decided to make that switch, had a few meetings with some friends, started going downtown to talk to people about what they needed. Um, and just involving the community to see what they needed. And that's pretty much how we made the switch. It was like all happened within a month. 
given now that you focus on housing justice and you identify as an abolitionist, what are the connections that you make between both of these movements? I mean, housing is a human right. Everyone deserves to have a warm indoor space to sleep. Um, the way the housing system works has historically been anti-Black, anti-LGBTQ, um, anti pretty much everything and everyone, unless you're a cishet white man. Um, and those are the systems we need to break down. Like right now, as we speak, the U.S. Supreme Court has decided to take on a case that they essentially the judgment will be whether or not homeless people are should be allowed to sleep outside with like blankets and pillows. They're trying to decide if that should even be legal going forward, even though in theory it's not even illegal. It's not even legal in the city of Atlanta because we have an urban camping law that prohibits people from sleeping in public areas. Um, so the connection there is very strong because the reason the systems are set up like this is because they know that people won't be able to like fully organize or fully even be present in their like personhood if they don't have a stable place to call home. Um, so it's just used to kind of, hopefully it doesn't come across conspiracy theory-esque, but like control the masses. Because if you control where people live, where they sleep, how they do all of that, then you control them. Because if you're tired, who has the time for a revolution? I do not think that's conspiracy theorist at all. I think it's very strategic to what they're intending to do, which is isolate us to create a sense of scarcity. What you all are doing is creating mutual aid. And I'm wondering what those encampments are like when the people are living there. Is there also a sense of mutual aid between them? I'm thinking about even how separating them and putting them in shelters is taking away their autonomy, taking away their collective determination that they are creating together. Um, yeah, just wanted to agree with you. Yeah, um, there is very strong sense of community in the, I can't necessarily call them encampments um, that we work in just because the city, specifically where we are, where we like hang out in the city, our folks aren't allowed to kind of gather in mass. They get moved pretty frequently. Um, but everyone looks out for each other. Like it's all, a lot of their resources are shared. Like people will make sure that kids, thankfully there aren't many, um, but kids, pregnant women, disabled folks, more vulnerable people eat first, that they're safe. Um, they take care of each other. They take care of us. Like I, when this first started, I was going down by myself late at night um, as a 21-year-old, and I never felt any kind of way um, because I knew that everyone there had my back. I had their back. Like, there have been times where we've needed to protect each other, and we've, it, everybody's done an amazing job at just building that community, and 
with sweeps, with these homeless shelters, like it does tear the community apart, sometimes quite drastically. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the Atlanta Homeless Union also evolved from these communities coming together and standing against homelessness. And and these are people that are houseless themselves. And I know that you all work really closely with them. And so if you want to share anything around that collaboration and like what types of support you all are providing to the houseless community. Yeah. Um, so the Homeless Union started back 2021 um, because we had been going out for a few months and kind of just, you know, just having general conversations with everybody as you would like if you're going to, I guess, a bar or something like you're just meeting new people. And so some of the things we were saying started rubbing off like we would talk about you know, regular leftists organizing conversations. So there'd be debates on like theory and labor unions and protests and revolutions and people who weren't as familiar would ask us questions. And then, you know, we'd kind of go back and forth because people like have their own lived experience with these things. Like a lot of the folks that we know are older. So they've been around and have seen a lot and they're like especially if they're from Atlanta they have experienced a lot been involved in a lot um and so it kind of grew from there so we wanted them to like be able to have a space community owned and led by them um much more than soul could be and so the idea of a homeless union came up and folks were really, really down for that. Um, unfortunately, due to state repression and just the nature of being in house and things like that, um, it was a short-lived project that every now and again gets like bursts of energy when things happen. But the state has done a really, really good job at keeping people away from each other um specifically like folks have been offered housing in so that they don't talk to us if that makes sense like they are kind of bribed like hey we can give you a house we can give you surgery that you need as long as you don't continue working with these people and we can't fault anybody for taking that offer because those are life-changing offers that are a lot more immediate than anything that the homeless union could really do so that is that's like one of the biggest roadblocks that we have, especially with organizing with unhoused folks, is that like needs need to be met. And sometimes the state offers those needs um, to undermine the work that folks are doing. Wow, that is wild. I was reading in this article that you sent me that it only will take $3 million to meet the demands of the houseless community, which at that time of the article was around 3,200 people. That's just housing, water, sanitation, healthcare, and a seat at the table around these decisions. They're doing these little bribes when really it takes not that much money in their budget to meet all of the needs of the community. Even though 
maybe you're not able to compete with them meeting their needs in a more expansive way, you all are providing housing to houseless folks and creating these tents called Sobolo where people can come and get food and warmth. So things like Sobolo, we do A, because the city won't, but B, um, our whole thing is meeting people where they're at. And a lot of times in the winter, most people won't go to city-run shelters because they are so poorly managed and understaffed and have ridiculous rules that people like, when you go, you lose your autonomy. You can only bring maybe one bag. You can't bring any of your blankets. You really can't bring any of your clothes. Um, They have rules about sobriety, which is very hard for people to just quit one day just to get a maybe get a bed for the night they can be kicked out at the staff's discretion um so if you look at somebody sideways and they don't like that they can remove you sometimes violently well technically it's all violent if you're kicking somebody out and it's 12 degrees outside but physically violent like throwing people out throwing their stuff on the street they don't feed people so in that we try and meet people where they're at which is quite literally to set up right where they are usually sleeping so that they know that they're at any point in the night there there's a warm space and food for them to go to and it just helps build that community and that trust because they know regardless of what's going on like we will be there and if we can't be there it's likely because it's too cold for the heaters to work and in that instance then we go and we crowdfund and we put people in hotel rooms, which we're currently doing right now, actually, um, because it's not safe for anyone to be outside. But it's like a community-led effort. We've gotten to the point where we really don't even need to be there. Like we like to be there and we're mostly there for, well, not mostly, we're almost entirely there because we have the cars with all the supplies and also just in case the police come they're more likely to listen to folks that they perceive to be housed um instead of harassing all all of our friends um but it's at this point community run they have come up with their own system of how to make sure that everybody is getting equitable amount of time in the tent because the tent hasn't grown but the population of folks that need it have um yeah that's like the the short of soul below i have been thinking a lot about these tents actually because currently in new york city there's an influx of asylum seekers and they're lining up for like 12 hours a day hoping to get a bed in this winter weather and I don't know how to catalyze that. I'm curious, like, how do you all fundraise for this? But um, that's one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about because people have just been coming, like residents in the city have been coming and giving um, food and different, like, winter items. But I'm like, while they're waiting in this line, how amazing would it be to have, like, these tents lined up to keep them warm in that moment? Fundraising, honestly, has always been such a tricky thing to kind of figure out. But after the first year, we just made sure that everything we bought could last us as long as possible. 
Um, so we most, I would say right now, 75% of the fundraising we do is grassroots folks just sending us $5 here and there. And the other 25%, we've been lucky enough to get a few grants, including from New Economy Coalition to help us continue running so below. But we've just made sure to be as cost effective as possible. Like the walls for the tent we've had for three years, the heaters we've had for three years, um, because those can last a while. The propane, we just have the same propane tanks and just refill them. Cause I think that's like $30. And they last at least, I would say, 30 hours running, like if we kept it on for 30 hours without running out um, on low, too, which heats up the tent. If Especially if there are people in it, the tent gets to about like 70. Like if there's snow, the snow is melting as soon as it lands on the roof because it gets really hot in there. Um, and then just a lot of community willpower. Uh, that's like the biggest lift that. I would urge anyone thinking about doing anything similar to consider is that it takes like we're there for 12 hours, 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Um, and so we just have really dedicated folks that don't like to sleep. That's pretty much how the current crew of Soul Below folks met is that I was out there doing it by myself. And then a few of my friends started coming and then more people who just like did not like we got like a very large night owl crew like folks that don't go to sleep till 5 a.m so they come out until they're tired um but other than that like it's I wouldn't say easy but I wouldn't necessarily say super hard um especially if your heart is in the right place now I can't speak for New York because it does not get that cold down here very often but I would definitely say it's worth doing because even a few minutes can like help save people's lives. Cause the risk of hypothermia, frostbite are so big and it just can come on so quickly. Definitely. And a lot of these people are coming from warm countries into this freezing cold. There's also the NYPD that's disrupting distribution they're actually seeing mutual aid as a threat. I'm sure as you've mentioned, you all are dealing with the same types of obstacles with the police. So I'm curious, what are the things that keep you going? That keeps you inspired and motivated to continue? Maybe you can share a story from the work that you've done that embodies that. I, I guess I'll answer the question and then maybe if I can think of a story. Um, but really what keeps us going is just the possibilities that exist. Um, it's definitely been an uphill battle over the past four years, but we have been able to do things we didn't think we'd be able to do when we first started. Um, and I think, I guess a good example of that is a few years ago, we met a guy who was living or he didn't really live there, but he hung around the church we work in front of. Um, and he became a pretty good friend. Uh, like we'd hang out, you know, do we'd see him there. Sometimes he'd come to my house to like wash his clothes. We'd hang out, do all the things that friends do. And then once the homeless union 
kind of came about, he really stepped up, I guess, because it's always been in him. He's always cared about the people in his community. Like if we're there, he's making sure that everybody is getting fed, that everybody's getting clothes, that things are like shared across the community equally. And he kind of just naturally had like these leader qualities, um, so much so that the police didn't really like him. He would actually get arrested probably once a month. Um, just because like the, if the police come to harass somebody, he's there being like, you know, this is wrong. What are you doing? He's calling me. He's calling other folks like, yo, they're down here harassing us, yada, yada, yada. Um, and he stuck with us like through all the ups and downs of our organizing work. And one day we were just fortunate enough for somebody to reach out and say that they had like root, they rent out rooms in their house. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I think we can pay maybe like a month or two. So we told him that we were like, is this something you'd be interested in? He was like, yeah, absolutely. So we started paying his rent. And then a friend of mine was like, yo, I'm hiring. And I was like, oh, I have a friend I think you'd like, because my friend like um, works, manages a restaurant that they also do a lot of mutual aid stuff on their street. They're pretty dope. Um, and we got them connected. And then he started working there and did all the things that he needed to do. And then like literally maybe three months later, he was a completely different person. He had more capacity to do more of the organizing work that I do, like more of the boring stuff that nobody wants to do, the admin stuff, the like checking in on folks, the, you know, not the fun protest stuff. And since then, he's been like completely, like I said, his life has changed. He's gotten a new job. I think he's an assistant manager now. He's making more than I make a week. He's saving up to get his own place. And that literally all happened like because of a lot of luck, but a lot of hard work and kind of just keeping with it. Because had we all of us just been like, okay, we haven't gotten anywhere in six months, let's just stop. We all just kept going and we're like, no matter what happens, bare minimum, we're always going to be downtown with food. And there were times where that's all we could do was bring food. We didn't have the capacity to organize. We didn't have the capacity to fundraise or do any of those things. Um, but eventually there is a good outcome in that if we keep up with it, we're able to visualize the future that we want and kind of build towards that future. So hopefully that makes sense and wasn't too long-winded. That was perfect gave me chills it brings me so much joy it's also a testament that even if we cannot show up with the resources just our time and our presence consistently for somebody can mean so much you started to talk about visualizing the world that we want and so I want you to do that for us what is the world that you envision when exploitative systems are abolished what types of infrastructure will be in place? Yeah, um, I think about this a lot as like I think about the future of Seoul because the end goal and the end goal that I try and get other people to kind of get on board with is that we shouldn't be doing this forever. 
I am fully of the mind that this, what we do isn't our job. We shouldn't have to do this. We should just be able to be in community with people. We shouldn't have to be creating these systems. Um, that's a failure of our government and of all the systems that have been built. So when I think about, you know, the future that I want, I don't want anyone to have to be doing community organizing. It's as fun as it can be. It's harmful. It's draining um, and life-giving, but it's just, it's everything. And so the for the future, what I want for people, I want free medical systems. Um, I don't necessarily envision hospitals as they exist now um, because I think everyone, I want people to have the preventative care they need. I want people to have access to the quote unquote non-traditional. Um, actually, I'm going to flip that and say, I want people to have access to the traditional medicines that they their ancestors have historically used. I want people to just be as well in the way that makes sense for them. I want everybody to have food. Um, I want everybody to have a place to live. I want everybody to be able to have the quality of life that they want. I want to be able to go on vacations with my friends because they aren't worried about having to pay rent. And I want to stay up late. So like on a random Tuesday, because I don't have to wake up at 9 a.m. to go work and do stuff that I don't actually feel called to do. Um, and I don't know with, I don't know specifically how I want that to look. I just kind of know the feelings that I want to be there. And I, I want everyone to feel like loved and valued and uh, everyone to have the autonomy and agency that they deserve. I definitely felt that. And I, say the same something similar when I talk about the solidarity economy I'm like it's so hard to articulate in words but once you experience it you know that it's something different and something that we should be living on a day-to-day -day basis and and for this to happen like so many paradigm shifts need to happen and that includes like internally and in the wider systems and so I wonder if there's any practices you could suggest for people who want to cultivate abolitionism within themselves in their mindsets and their communities yeah um that's another thing that I do think about a lot I was personally fortunate enough to be raised in a household that was built on quite a few abolitionist principles. My parents were college students when they had me, so they were like young hippies. Um, so I've always lived, and I'm West Indian, so I've always lived in communal households. Um, like great grandmother had a household like that. And, you know, so it's been a long time, but one of the things that I still work on within myself is definitely having a more optimistic view of things as corny as it sounds, because it is really easy to fall into despair and think that nothing is worth doing and nothing can be changed. But that's not true because I mean, 
just generally in life outside of movement work, things have changed so much in the past 20 years. Um, and that's due to people like having that, having a clear vision of what they want or what they want to feel and working towards that and actively kind of dismantling the things like the thought processes in their mind. I think an important like thought that people that is helpful for people to work on is dismantling the idea of scarcity. We live in abundance. There is so many, like there's so many resources that are available. We have an abundance of food. We have an abundance of housing. We have an abundance of care within ourselves um, that we really need to tap into and start like realizing more. Um, and I think for like our communities breaking out of the isolation that capital capitalism kind of demands um, and really seeing how community can fulfill us in so many ways. There's so many like, like if you think about all the people you know in that circle, there are so many different ranges of knowledge that people have things um even if it seems super niche like I guess we could take like cosplay if somebody's making their cosplay program or uh cosplay costumes they're probably a decent seamstress or probably decent at like the fiber arts and works and can help you like sew something or mend something things like that or folks that are really good at computer stuff I don't know anything about computers, but I know that there's probably somebody that can come help me in my community to help me fix this or, you know, things like that. And just tapping into each other and really starting to do the things that bring us joy, um, especially if you want to be an organizer. Like one of our rules for soul when we're deciding on what we need to do and like who gets what task we always say that you should be tapping into the skills that you have and fitting the project to you and not the other way around. Because if we're trying to force ourselves into a project that just doesn't mesh with us, then we probably aren't the right person to do it. And we can find the right person because that will do nothing but lead us into despair, make us angry, make us upset. And then we won't be doing the thing to the best of our abilities or the best that it needs to be done. Hopefully that wasn't a confusing way of saying it. Um, but yeah, just like opening yourself to the possibilities and using the resources you have, looking for resources externally, kind of just embodying what community means to you. Beautifully said. I feel like when we realize that we do have this abundance, as you were speaking of, and especially collectively, then we have more power and agency that we need to create the systems that we desire. I loved what you said about sharing skills and knowing what skills are available in our community. We need to be doing asset-based mapping. It creates more resiliency. It also allows us to go deeper in relationship with each other because we start to learn the layers of the gifts that we have. So 
You spoke a little bit about the personal, and I'm wondering if you have any suggestions for resources, tips, or places for people that may want to engage and nurture this vision. Yeah, um, I guess quick tips is just be open to learn. Um, I went to school for this stuff, so it's been like a lot of my time and my life has been dedicated to researching abolition and movement work. Um, and that's come with a lot of changing perspectives. And something that I've definitely been working on and learning is that it's okay to change my mind about things. There are things that I've been very anti or very, I just hated the idea of it. I didn't agree. And then, you know, life happens and I've seen, experienced, witnessed things. And I've been like, oh, you know, I was wrong. And it's difficult to say that, but in this work, you're probably going to have to say it a lot because everyone has their vision of the future. And that's why I don't think that there is one vision that I can speak to. But at the end of the day, the principles of our visions are all usually very similar, if not the same. So just be open to that. Um, resources and places. There are a few websites that I enjoy. I love Freedom Archives. Um, they are digitizing a bunch of like old, I guess, movement work um, resources. So like Black Panthers, SNCC, um, the Chicano movement, Palestinian liberation throughout the years. They have like archives of posters and speeches and old newsletters. And it's just really cool to go and read and see what our predecessors were talking about and what work they were trying to move in their communities. Um, and I also really like Abolition Notes. They're on Instagram, and I think they have a website. It's just, like, really beautiful artwork that breaks down, like, very powerful and popular theorists, I think is the word, or authors and writers um, that are just really nice to look at and read and share. Um, and I think those are the top two places if someone's asking me, but I also do, don't endorse Twitter, but I do use Twitter and I just try and follow people who are doing the work that I admire and just following along how they do it because a lot of them are really good at just kind of documenting what they do, how they do it to give you kind of a blueprint of how you might be able to replicate it um, in your life and your community. So helpful. I learned some new resources as well. Thank you so much, Sunny, for being you, for the work that you're doing, for the community that you're nurturing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for the podcast and the space. I'm excited to hear and see how this grows. There are many ways you can be in reciprocity with us. If you are or know of a collective model that aligns, let's connect so we can spotlight the story. Share episodes, especially with your friends and family who aren't aware of collective models but are unfulfilled with this economy. With your support, we can continue archiving the stories that aren't being elevated but are necessary for our collective elevation.